0: This is episode number 189, The Voice of Iron Man with Mike Riley. Welcome to The Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day.
1: Doing an Iron Man is really not an endorsement of what you did today it's a certification of what you've become because people do change the long training of eight or nine months teaches them things they've never been taught before the discipline to do it the family and friends around you supporting and then getting to that finish line you you're somebody different
0: and today's episode is definitely full of inspiring stories but first i just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast and if you're new Welcome, and we're excited for you to check out some of our other episodes as well. If you're enjoying the show, we always, always appreciate reviews left on Apple Podcasts because they help other people find the show, too. And for those of you who have been supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal, thank you so, so very much. It means the world to me and we definitely need it to keep this show going. I have an awesome audio engineer who's been with me since episode one named Roma and a great assistant named Tina that makes sure that this show is uploaded on time and sounds awesome every week. So thanks to my team and thanks to everybody supporting my team. If you're getting a lot of value out of the show and you want to kick just a couple bucks a month to the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show or go to sonialooney.com slash podcasts and you'll see where to do it there. So thank you. And last, before we get into this week's guest, if you haven't signed up for my free weekly newsletter, you can do so at sanyaluni.com newsletter, where every Friday I send out a short and fast read on the newest podcast or podcasts of the week, any new articles that I've written or come across that I think will be helpful for you, and any types of coupon codes or giveaways from my sponsors to give you guys rad deals. And you can get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. And you also get a free copy of my resilience handbook called Partly Sunny, Cultivating a Resilient Mind whenever you sign up for the newsletter. So let's talk about today's guest. Pretty awesome guy. If you're familiar with Ironman, then you've surely heard the voice of Mike Riley. The four words, you are an Ironman, are some of the most powerful words uttered at the finish line of endurance sports. Mike has been announcing Ironman events since 1989 and is fondly known as the voice of Ironman. He's been inducted into the Ironman Hall of Fame, the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame, and the running USA Hall of Champions, and is the only person to have been inducted into all three. He has connected with hundreds of thousands of athletes, making each one feel individual and special as they cross that line, but also at the start line and throughout the grueling 19-hour day of announcing. Mike's book, Finding My Voice, was published about a year ago and is an inspiring and fun read about some of the most incredible moments through Mike's career with Iron Man. People always ask him what his favorite or most inspiring finish line stories are, and those are in the book. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll feel inspired when you read it. It's about how Iron Man changes people for the better. Throughout this episode, you'll immediately notice Mike's positivity and his passion for a positive attitude. He says, You're the cause of your own experience. He says that it has been his privilege to see people cross every Ironman finish line. It's always hard to pick just one quote for the intros of these episodes. So here's another one from the end of this episode that I loved and can't agree with more. Mike says, no matter what happens today, you've got the control over one thing and one thing only, and that's your attitude. If you take care of it, it will get you to the finish line. You can't worry about all that external stuff that will come your way, and it will. It could be raining, it could be heat, it could be a perfect weather day, and you get three flat tires. But if you control your attitude and keep it positive it'll get you to the finish line. If you don't, it may fail getting you to the finish line. And I couldn't agree with that quote more. It's something I've talked about a ton on this show and something in particular for ultra endurance mountain biking that I think is one of the keys to success is a positive attitude. If you're wondering, how do I have a more positive attitude? How do I start working on this? I suggest that you go to sonyalooney.com slash podcast and select crush it Mondays. And for a solid year, every Monday, I came up with an episode that is about resilience, it's about attitude, and it's about daily practices that you can incorporate into your life so that it's easier whenever things get hard to be more positive. We talked about a lot in this show We talked about how Mike announces for 19 hours straight, the life-changing importance of getting to the start line, how goal-setting in endurance sports forever changes you, what a typical day of announcing looks like, what it means to be an Ironman. He did talk a little bit about his finish line stories, but encourages you guys to read the book. We talked about Iron Man tattoos and the culture of Iron Man, why Mike believes family and community are the most important thing, and we also got to a bunch of listener questions. So here is Mike Riley. I hope you enjoy this amazing episode and feel super stoked when you're done listening to it. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Sonia. It's great to be here.
0: It was really fun to read your book and read all these incredible stories and also learn about you.
1: Well, yeah, to be able to write a book, you know, we had to go into my background and things like that. But my world's built around what I see and how it inspires me and how it inspires others. And that's why I wanted to tell stories that if I didn't, I felt people, it would, it would be selfish of me to just know about these myself. Some of them are public stories, but a lot of them are, you know, stories that people told me about or that I witnessed. And to be able to pass that on, it was this was a a, a great gift.
0: Awesome. And I will get to some of those stories, but I know that a lot of people want to hear more about you. <laughs> so you you've been with Iron Man, is it since nineteen eighty nine?
1: Yeah, that was my first time I announced an Iron Man. It was Iron Man Hawaii in eighty
0: nine. Wow. And how did you get into announcing?
1: Well, I had announced a lot of races in Southern California from the late you know 70s all the way through the 80s, a lot of running races, and then obviously a lot of the first triathlons because I was a triathlete and a runner. And I, I'd start doing, you know, I was doing the race, and then the race director would say, hey, why don't you announce it and work it for me? I go, no, I, I'm i training for it. I want to do it. <laughs> and, and it became a push and a shove thing. And then they'd offer me money, and I go, well, you know what? I can always do another race I'll make money on this one so it just kind of came to fruition and I've always loved to public speak and and when I started calling people Sonya to the finish line and, and saying their name and saying something about them and and see the expression on their faces of everyday normal people I go this is cool I I mean I get to be a little bit of a part of help making somebody else's life a little more joyful, a little more happy because they worked hard for something and they attained it. And I, I get to tell, I always say, I get to tell the world that they attained it. I get to tell their family and their friends and them. And it just, it just is something I love to do.
0: Yeah. And you get to really feed off of their energy and and their accomplishments too, which feels so good to be able to share that with somebody.
1: Oh my gosh. People come up and go, how the heck do you go for 19 hours and da, da, da. Well, every finisher just Fills me. I, you know, I bring in the sixty-six-year-old grandmother from Ohio, and I bring in the eighteen-year-old who's just trying to find himself. I bring in the mom who has a single mom who's got three kids trying to prove to them that, you know, you've got to keep trying to set goals and attain them, and and it's just a the whole gambit of of people finishing. So, yeah, I've seen so much, but truthfully, my best memories are the ones that are about ready to come my way. And I know it's going to be another season of memories this year.
0: Yeah. So wh- what do you think it, it takes to be this magnetic announcer that has this amazing alchemy with the fans and with the athletes? Because I know some people listening probably have done some announcing and they think, wow, like how does how does Mike do this?
1: I really I don't look at it as me talking to a group of people I look at like you and I having a one-on-one conversation and I'm congratulating you on the great 15 mile mountain bike race you just did. And, and I do it at a finish line and I'm, you know, you, you have to be passionate about the business you're in, no matter if it's announcing or the corporate world or professional athlete, you've got to be passionate about it and it's got to be in your blood. And I think, th- I think that comes out of me when, when I call a triathlon an Ironman or whatever it may be, I, I'm excited to be there. And I want the finishers to be as excited as anybody because they accomplished something great. So I very seldom for 19 hours will say the word I or me because I feel it would take away from them because them, the athletes, the the spectators, the moms and dads watching their kids do it. If you incorporate the I and me all day long and I would go and listen to other people and go, God, it's it's about them. And just because they're on the microphone, the microphone doesn't give you a right to try to tout who you are, or let people know about your personality or in so many words, tell them, hey, I'm pretty cool. I, I got a microphone <laughs> in my hand. It should be the exact opposite. It should humble you. It should be a privilege to have that in your hand. And then if you're wise enough to be able to use it in a way that, that glorifies everybody else and not you. You can't, you know, you hear people all the time on the microphone and they're, it's just kind of talking about them and then the athlete and them. And then it's not about that. I I guess people tell me that I love what you said about this or that. I go, great, great. I go, I know that was cool. And I say a lot of things over the microphone that I, I even am thinking about. I go, God, that, so that, that was a fantastic performance. What prompted you to do this at this part of the course? I'm a fan, too. And and I think those questions are inside other people, too, you know, listening. You've just got to be passionate about it. And it's not about you. It just can't be.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you really have to be a good listener, too.
1: That's the number one, because I've been in sales all my life. And the number one ingredient for being a great communicator is listening. Number one, nothing can beat it. Because if you're a great listener, people realize that. And all of a sudden, the communication just flows. So it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I keep thinking a lot of people want me to give them the ABCs of it all. And, you know, part of me just goes, well, I just do what I feel is right, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I make a mistake, I know it. And, I own up to it and I don't do it again. You learn by your mistakes.
0: So, how do you get all this information about people throughout the day? Because, I mean, there's 19 hours that you're doing this, there's whatever, 2,500, 3,000 people, and you make each person feel special. Do you have a team that helps you with that?
1: Well, yes and no. I received the database for events, you know, before the event. Now, go through. We ask, the Ironman asks, what is your story? So, people tell you, their story, their backstory. And I'll go through them quite a few times before the race. And when I do that, I start realizing, okay, this woman battled breast cancer. This person did this, this person did that. And it becomes kind of ingrained with me. I don't memorize it, but it, it it's there. So when race day comes, I have it in front of me and it, re- it reminds me. So I tell people the story. And the other part is I want to be enthusiastic for everybody because everybody's got a backstory. Everybody has gone through some hell to get where they're at today and to get to that finish line and even the start line. So yeah, I I do have a lot of information in front of me that I study and and, uh, people always on my website, they come and they tell me their story. So I seem to remember quite a few of them. And when they come to the finish line, I like to let people know what their story is as much as I can.
0: Yeah. And and you mentioned the word humbling. It's humbling to hold the microphone. But I'm sure it's also so humbling to hear these stories of what people have gone through. I mean, pros are impressive because of their dedication to the sport and their speed and things like that. But I am a pro and I'm most inspired by the people who are out there because they're overcoming something really big in their life.
1: It is absolutely amazing to me what some people overcome. And when I see their story and I follow them and then it could be, I could hear about them four years before they decide to do an Ironman event. And and I'm at the finish line of that event. So I've been following them and seeing how they're doing and, and a lot of times communicating with them. And it just becomes, it's like a family member coming in. A, a brother, a sister, you know, an aunt or an uncle. And it's it, it's amazingly inspiring. I, I sometimes have to check myself at the finish line. I can't, I can get caught up in it as much, but I've got another finisher coming in right behind that person. And so I try to give them all they deserve. And, and when they come to that finish line and, and the other thing it does, Sonia, it teaches me. And I think others around me that are seeing it, like, what am I complaining about? (laughs) Well, I'm complaining, I got a, a sore back or sore ankle. And this person was crushed by a New York City bus and was wasn't supposed to live. And his rehab was three, four years. I mean, some of the stories you go, how did they overcome so many obstacles? You know, I've gone through a couple of like minor surgeries in my life that, you know, just fix up stuff, as you probably have. And and you're sitting there, God, this is tough. Two weeks, I'm I'm down and out or a month. <laughs> and And I'm thinking that's nothing compared to what some people have gone through.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the things that people can endure are just amazing, and you don't realize the depth of what you're able to do and your resilience until you're actually faced with a challenge. And what a challenge to pick Ironman!
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I I always say, people pick an Ironman. They go 140.6 total miles to beat themselves up, but yet it heals a lot of people. Because, and I I said it in my book. It's you know. Doing an Ironman is really not an endorsement of what you did today. It's a certification of what you've become because people do change. The long training of eight or nine months teaches them things they've never been taught before, the discipline to do it, the family and friends around you supporting and then getting to that finish line. You're somebody different.
0: So earlier you mentioned what it takes for people to get to the start line and even the finish line what do you think is more important, the start line or the finish line?
1: Start line. You know, it the most important thing is the commitment, making that commitment and taking that first step out the door. You know, as an athlete, and I do too, and others, you're yeah, like, oh, God, I got to get a 50-mile thing in. I got to go do this. I got to get to the pool. And, and that first step is so hard. We vacillate. No, yeah, I got to be there at 9. What if I get there at 9.15? And we talk to ourselves like that. And But then we take that first step and we get there and we go, all right, here it goes. It's flowing. It's going to happen. And that's the same with uh, the trepidation I see of people heading to the water of an Ironman, their faces. It is just like nothing but fear. A lot of it is happy fear. People are nervously, you know, Uh, happy and laughing and I'm high-fiving them before they get in the water and you're going to be okay. I'm going to see you at the finish and (laughs) you see them relax a little bit. But once they take that first step, that's the biggest hurdle. Make that commitment, take that first step and just let the journey guide you.
0: I love that. And that really does apply to anything that people are trying to do in their lives.
1: Oh, no doubt. And I've said it before and sometimes it sounds a little hokey, but you know, endurance sports is life. Ironman is life. You know, your, your profession of mountain bike, it, it mimics life, the ups and downs, the crashes, the getting up and pulling yourself off the dirt. People telling you, you can't. When in your heart, you go, yes, I can. And people you love saying, what are you doing that for? <laughs> Which is kind of saying, don't do it. I don't do that. Because people want to be of the like. And if they're around someone who's, you know, and not that all athletes are overachievers but they set a goal and they're going for it. Not a lot of people do that in life. They set mini goals. That's why I even said in the book if you set that big grandiose goal and you go for it, it's going to change your life. It really is, don't? Those little minor goals that we all have to have, those are great. They get us through day to day. But you got to have that big hairy one out there just looking at you in the face and and other people saying what are you doing that for? Then you know you're doing something right when you hear that.
0: Yeah. I mean, when, whenever you commit to these things, it gives you the opportunity to experience the extreme highs and the extreme lows that it takes whenever you're taking on a challenge. And there aren't many times in our lives where we get to experience that. I don't want to say isolation as not a bad thing, but like when you're out there as an endurance athlete, for example, you have one decision and it's your decision to make. Do I keep going or do I not keep going? And a lot of times like we ha- we're doing 10 things at once and, and we're distracted and it's not as hard as it would be if you're out there by yourself suffering and you did everything just to get to that start line.
1: And you're naked out there, you know it. And you've just got to be able to push through anything that comes your way. It's and I think if you do that, if you, if you set those kind of goals and whether it's once a year, or, you know, twice a year, or whatever it may be, and you go for it. And it doesn't always have to be an athletic thing, but set that huge goal of, you know, I had a huge goal of writing a book. And that thought came into my mind 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Did I vacillate? Yeah, I did for quite a while. And then I thought, well, I maybe I, I need more stories or I need more of this. I could have probably written a book 15 years ago with just as many great stories because I was seeing them. But I just didn't make that step, that commitment. And it, actually it was I was in Iron Man Lake Placid, kind of telling people and bragging, I'm gonna come out with a book. It'll be out next year by Lake Placid. And that was my goal. Well, I didn't really get the work on it. I had stories written and stuff like that. Iron Man Lake Placid came the next year. I didn't have the book done. I didn't even really have it started. And I went to a uh, the Iron Friar. he's a He's a Catholic priest that does the race every year. And he says a mass the night before the race. And he he always does the race. Afterwards, I come outside and he's standing. He goes, Mike, so you got your book done? And it hit me. I go, oh, my God, Mike, you're bragging about it. And here this, you know, great guy, the Iron Friar, the priest asked me if I had my book done. And right there, I said, get your ass home and start it. And that's what happened. And two years later, I got it done.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So I want to talk about kind of the mechanics of your day when you're announcing for 19 hours, because most people don't do anything for 19 hours straight. Can you <laughs> can you walk us through a typical announcing day?
1: Oh gosh, you know I don't sleep much the night before. Uh, if I get four or five hours, I'm in I'm in good shape, and you know I wake up and uh, get a little something to eat, and I always want to be one of the first ones down to the race site, so that's usually about 4 a.m. <laughs> and if we let people into transition at at uh, 5, so I want to be there an hour before I go through transition and just kind of get my bearings and start sucking up the energy. I'll look at 2,500 bikes there, and and I think, God, he's one of those bikes. are going to have a dream on it today. You know, I, it's just some of the things I think about that get me in the in the mood to go. And then the athletes start coming, and it's it, it really, Sonia, is a quick day for me. I, I, I'll put them all in the water and call them coming out of the water and then sometimes we'll have uh, two-lap rides, so I'll see them on the ride come by a hot corner, sometimes two times. We have three-lap rides, and I'm calling them, and and then they go out on the run, and there's always a a halfway point or a couple points on the run where I see them, so I'm calling them again and saying their name, and sometimes by the time they come to the finish line, I've said their name seven times during the day, and then uh, the pros will start coming in about 3 o'clock, 3.30, so I'll bring the Men and women, professionals in, and crowd goes crazy. I will do some interviewing, and then I go to my stage. After that, why athletes are still coming in, and I think, okay, baby, here we go, rock and roll. It could be four o'clock, four thirty, and I know we're going for seventeen hours till midnight, and I just go. I just absolutely go. I don't take breaks. If I got to run to the porta potty, that's what I do. I run to the porta potty and. Then I, I somebody always brings me some food and I, I can't eat a whole lot because I'm just, you know, so I'm, it's like all day long I'm on a sugar low. So I, somebody brings me a cookie, I want to kiss him on the lips, my God. And then <laughs> I just drink, I drink just so much. I don't want to overhydrate because you know what would happen? I have <laughs> to leave and go to the bathroom. So I'm always kind of on the edge of dehydration. And I, you know, after working out so many years, I kind of know where that's at and go, okay, I'm okay. And I'll go sometimes six, seven hours without having to go and then I have to go. And there's a second with me all the time and they do the job and call them an Ironman. And then we take it right to the midnight hour to the final, what I call the final winners. And it, it is, I tell people the last hour of an Ironman, some people who see more passion come across that finish line than they've experienced over a year. I mean, it's just it's just awe inspiring. And you, I can see it on their faces when they finish. Like I cannot believe I just did this, but I did. And you know, then we welcome them and tell them they're an Ironman and tell them they're the best thing ever, and that lasts for the rest of their lives.
0: And what does it mean to be an Ironman? That's a big question. It, it's a big question. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is a big question. I think what it means it means you made a commitment and you stuck to it. You know, one of the biggest lessons we can teach our children. In life, just simply finish what you start. So many people can't get that done. Finish what you start. If you make that big commitment, finish it and give everything you can. Sure, a lot of people don't finish a race because of mechanical or they got hurt, but and I know many of those, but they've come back and they've finished it. So finishing what you start doesn't mean. The start of that day or the start of that week or the start of that month. But you need to finish what you start. So that's what an Ironman athlete does. They finish what they start.
0: And can you tell us like three of your favorite stories from an Ironman finish line?
1: Oh, gosh. (laughs) Now I'm going to tell you. Now I'm going to tell you. Read my book. Well, stories that have my favorite stories are the ones that have affected me greatly. Oh, gosh. Grace McDonald in my book and you'll read her, Chapter 3. That story hit me in the heart, and uh, as it will anybody that reads that story. And having her father finish an Ironman in her honor uh, was one of the greatest calls I've ever been able to make. To be able to see, especially I, I call them better, not older, some of the older athletes that now in our day and age People say, oh, you're 60 or you're 65 or you're 70. I know some 70-year-old athletes that kick my butt on the bike. <laughs> and and, it, it, and I go, how does that? But because they told themselves they can do it. So when Cherie Groenfeld and her husband, actually, Lee, wrote the book with me, Cherie has won her age group in Kona 13 times. Now she's racing this year, I think, in the 75 to 79, and she'll probably beat all the 60-year-olds. And to be able to bring her across the finish line and know that people go, oh, my gosh, if she can do it. You know, that 33-year-old guy over there standing there drinking a beer goes, I, she's 76 and she just finished. What am I? I got to do something. So to bring people in like that, that inspires me. But I know they pass it on. Other people get inspired, too. And then my last chapter in the book is the best call I ever made. Uh, I've called Uh, I don't know, 350 to 400,000 people on Ironman, and one stands above them all. And I'm not going to tell you who it is, because it's in there, because there is one call that stands above them all.
0: All right. And I won't ruin that for people who are going to read the book.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, please don't.
0: I wanted to ask you about energy management, because you travel, well, how many days a year on average are you traveling?
1: Oh, gosh, I, I, I don't really add them up. I (laughs) <laughs> if, if you go by hotel nights, I think it's 120 days in a hotel, you know. Yes,
0: yeah, so you're you're in the hotel 120 days a year. Traveling takes it out of you, and then announcing these races, it's it's really an energy transfer. Like you're getting energy from people, but you're also really giving your heart and your soul to all of these people crossing the finish line. How do you deal with burnout if you have experienced it or how do you recharge in the downtime?
1: I have a unbelievable family. And that's my recharge. So when I'm, yeah, traveling sucks. It's just getting tougher every year. It's just because traveling's tougher. And, you know, to pack up and get on a plane and, you know, I fly to New Zealand. And actually, it's funny, the international flights are easier than domestic. It's true. Just because you you get on and if I get upgraded, I'm like, oh man, this is great. And, you know, it's 12 hours watching movies and relaxing. The, the domestic is just, uh the plane's laid out of Chicago. You, you know how that goes. So, but when I get done with an event, the next day's the award ceremony. I'm still really up because we get to award everybody in their age group, bring them up on stage. And then I'll, uh, you know, I'll pack up and head to the airport. And, man, that's when I start coming down. I, I've i had drives to airports if I'm two, three hours from an airport on a race site. I get there and I go, I just, I just am beat up. But then I get home and I've got my kids and my grandkids and my wife and uh, my friends' network and I'm back at it within 24 or 48 hours after I get home. I'm ready to go. So I think the reason I'm a little down is just you know physically and mentally I've, I've given everything I think I can give and you know you can't do that 24 hours a day every day of the year. So I just, I'm just I've never burned out. I don't believe in the term burnout. Mm-hmm. I believe in the term, one day you have a high energy and the next day you're recouping a little bit because that third day you got to have that high energy again.
0: Okay. And (laughs) what is your craziest fan experience? Because you're bringing people across the line who have raced, but then there's fans lining, you know, the finish line shoot. So what's the craziest fan experience you've had?
1: Oh gosh, I've had, I've had people try to jump over the barriers to get to the athlete and, you know, we just can't have that because you don't, want an athlete getting knocked down. I've had them uh, I throw me, you know, energy bars up at the stage mm-hmm. and I'm trying to catch them. I go, what are you throwing me at? We thought you should eat. Oh, <laughs> I'm going, oh my God, don't, don't throw me at I'm afraid I'm not going to be looking. Some of the funniest fan things are before the race or after the race. And I had a Ironman Australia. I was the next day after the race was just walking down the street and I see this guy coming my way, towing his wife, holding her hand, and two kids. They were holding mom's hand. They are all in a line coming at me. And I just kind of smiled. He comes up. You, you're Riley, right? I go, yeah. Mate, I got a bone to pick with you. And I'm thinking, what? You, you, you didn't. How terrible. I trained for this race, and you didn't call me an Ironman. No. And he was kind of adamant, and he was uh, aggressive, and, and the wife was behind him just yes, like sheepishly like I go, oh my god I don't believe he's doing this and the kids didn't know what the heck was going on and so I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I, you know I'm sorry because you got to do it now so okay. so I'm going oh my gosh and it was kind of the first time because I've done it now quite a few times for people and so I said what's your name and he gave me his name and I screamed it to the top of my library around stop walking because I screamed it at him and <laughs> pointed at him and and he was only standing two feet in front of me, and he goes, "Okay, thank you, mate." And he just took off, towing the family. And I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> so I guess it is more important sometimes to, for some people than others. So, but it was all in fun and you know all in jest. And and uh, when I get to do that through airports or calling people on the phone if they were missed or if it was a race I wasn't at, I'll call people up and say it to them over the phone, and the reactions are. They're priceless, just priceless.
0: How did you become the voice of Iron Man? Or when did you realize that you were the voice of Iron Man?
1: Well, I was there in 89 and 90. And Mike Plant, God bless his soul, who just passed away not too long ago, uh, brought me over. And I was his assistant. And then in 91, I co-announced with another guy. And I think it was 92, 93. And I didn't put it in a book because I didn't have the exact date. I was being introduced somewhere. And I don't even know if it was an Ironman event uh, to, to speak. And they said, "Ah, oh, Mike Riley, you know, da, da, da. the voice of Ironman. I'm walking on stage going, what? what, what who, who I didn't have that in my bio. He just said it because he thought, well, you're the guy that put the finish line. And then afterwards, I talked to everybody and got done. And I'm going home. I'm going Oh geez, that's kind of weird. I don't know if I can call myself the voice of Iron Man. And I told a couple people, friends, and they go, Yeah, that's so." I I didn't really, I didn't say it or put it in a bio, but then it, people just start picking it up. Next thing you know, it's it, it was just kind of everywhere. And it's funny. I'll get it. I was introduced at a thing last night, completely separate from sports, anything. It was just a thing I was at, and uh, one person there knew who I was. And, and quasi friend, I didn't know him that well, and he introduced me. He goes, "By the way, you know this is the voice of Iron Man," and the person goes, "Oh wow, that's cool." And I go to the bird per- to the person I'm meeting. And I go, "Oh, so are you an athlete? You've done Iron Man?" He goes, "No, not at all." And I'm thinking, well, "Why do you think it's so cool, a voice?" So I don't know. I don't know if it has a ring to it or people go, "Yeah, I know Iron Man, and you're the voice." I guess if they called. Uh, You know, a a famous announcer, the voice of baseball, but there's no voice of baseball or football because there's lots of them. So I don't, it just kind of happened. And there's other men and women out there calling Ayn Rand races, but I guess just because I was the first on (laughs) you.
0: Yeah. I I bet you never thought that you'd be like the guy who uh, people would chase down in the street just to hear those four words. Like that's such a powerful thing to do for somebody, but also it's kind of a a big responsibility too.
1: You know, I, I even say that, you know, you are an Man. is it tells people they're no longer among the ones who haven't known the gratification of a difficult task completed. It, it's really you asked me earlier what the Iron Man is. You know, I always say a lot of times at a finish line, welcome home. Come on through the front door. This is your house. And, you know, I, they're stepping through a doorway and then joined. You know, a very special, very exclusive club. And no matter how the rest of their life goes, they're always going to be an Ironman. And I've had people come up to me and Mike. I I went through a dark year last year and uh, a lot of people, you know, with mental illness or whatever it may be. But what keeps me going is I know I I accomplished that Ironman. I know. And and it kind of keeps them. It lets them know there is greatness out there because they've already achieved it. And it it gets people through tough times.
0: Yeah. And it's one of the only sports where there's like a tattoo that people get to self-identify. I I mean, for in mountain biking, if you win single speed world championships, the prize is a tattoo saying you're the single speed world champion. But aside from that, I haven't heard of anything like the Ironman tattoo and the pride that people have with the Ironman tattoo. Do you have an Ironman tattoo?
1: No, I do not. What's the reason? I do not. Well, it's interesting. I a few of the marketing people that work with me wanted me to have a, a, a contest where people draw a tattoo that they think Mike Riley should get. You know, <laughs> should uh, M dot with a microphone in it? I'm Irish oh. with a clover, or you know, I. But I didn't. I don't know. It's I. I probably will get a tattoo one day, but an Ironman M dot is a tattoo that says you did an Ironman. I haven't done one, so. I'm not going to take it away from the people that have. And it's funny, I heard, I don't know how true this is, but <laughs> I've told people all the time I, that there's two of the biggest branded tattoos in the world are Harley Davidson and Ironman. And I truly <laughs> believe that because I know people that finish Kona, if there's 2,500 finishers, there's a thousand of them. I got tattoos the next day. Easy.
0: Do you have any desire? Like you've done, you've done the 70.3, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
0: is there is there a desire to do the, the full shebang?
1: Well, yeah, there is. But you know what my stronger desire is? is to be on that microphone. So if I... And, and you know, if it would it would be Kona. i do Hawaii. Obviously, the granddaddy of Maug. But that race is in October. There'd be four Ironmans before that. I couldn't... I can't get a lot of training in when I'm working an Ironman. So I'd have to sacrifice what I do now. And I don't want to do that yet. I want to... I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and those are my Ironmans. And people are upset now when I announce my schedule and I'm not going to erase their at. And, and it's what I want to do. So those are my, you know, I, I have 13 Ironmans this year.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think it's important to be able to say no and to be able to prioritize what your why is and the things that are important to you, even when other people are pressuring you to do the opposite.
1: Well, the funny thing is a lot of the people I train with especially in the deep dark of the summer here in San Diego, there's always, you know, somebody's got an Ironman on their schedule. And they'll go, Riley, you're like in our shape. It's unbelievable. You're doing all this training. I go, yeah. And I go, you know what the best part is, guys? I'm not nervous on race day like you are. <laughs> you know, I don't have to be nervous about race and I, but I can be in shape like I am. So it, it, what the heck?
0: Do you ever get nervous about announcing?
1: Yeah, I get uh, the Ironman day is really set up with the swim and how that goes of everybody getting through transition, getting their bikes checked, going and getting the wetsuits on, getting down to the water and us starting the race on time. That's stressful because I realize and I've been at events before where if the start didn't go very well, it permeates through all the athletes. It gives them a little bit of a. A, a tough vibe and a, and a negative vibe for the day. Like, oh, it's late or this happened or that happened. <laughs> so I get nervous about making sure that we're all flowing very well and the race starts on time because then I know, well, okay, here we go. The day's flowing well. There was no backup at the start. And you've probably been at start line, oh, we got to delay 15 more minutes or we got to do this. Oh, by the way, we're changing the course now. And that just, that just kind of, <laughs> put your mindset into a different place. And so that's why I get nervous in the morning because I want to make sure it comes off well for the athletes and their day goes perfectly.
0: Yeah. The funniest start line in my mind, it was a hundred mile race in Costa Rica and the start was at 5am, but everybody was on Costa Rica time. So all of the the foreigners were ready to go at 5am and at 5am, the Costa Ricans uh. were still driving in and <laughs> we ended up not starting till like six. So we were like standing in the dark for an hour waiting for everybody to park
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's tough. That's horrible. I mean, you know, but you, you're good athletes and you're, you're a pro. You, you adjust. You, you go, just laugh. Right, you have to you
0: laugh know. at it.
1: I go, let it run off the shoulders. And, and you know what? I always tell people, oh, this happened. I go, you know what? It isn't just happening to you. It's happening to 2,500. So you know what? You can't bitch and moan because if it was just coming at you, maybe. But everybody's in the same boat.
0: Yeah, So what's the hardest part about being an announcer?
1: Gosh, I feel a little weird saying this, but I don't know what a hard part about it is. I mean, as we talked about before, just the travel and getting there and getting home and all that. But once that race day comes, race week comes, (laughs) there's no hard about it. It's just nothing but a fun, blast, passionate, talking to people of your like, seeing people... And knowing that on race day, some of their life dreams are going to come true. There's nothing hard about that. People coming up to me and say, "By the way, I'm doing the race and I lost 100 pounds." And I look at them, I go, "Yeah, you're amazing." So that finish is a dream come true. The journey of losing the weight and then getting to that finish line is there. It's sometimes they may, and I know this because people have told me, they may never have a dream come true like that again the rest of their lives. So there's no hard about an Ironman. Nothing's hard about it.
0: Yeah, and the thing I keep hearing over and over from you is like you choose to have a positive mindset and you choose to have gratitude and be inspired by people around you. And even a word like hard, like you don't even have that word. You choose not to use that word in your vocabulary. And I think that that's probably something I don't know. Do you think people are kind of innately set up to be able to do that? Or is that something you've had to practice?
1: I've always been a pretty positive person. And I know what draws me down. I know the words and the actions that, and we all really do in our heart, know what draws us down, whether we say it to ourselves or somebody else says something to us. But so I stay away from that. And I stay away from negative people. I stay away from people who tell me they're going to do something and, and just never do it. And, you know, and so I, I call a lot of friends out on that. I go, I thought you told me you were going to do this. Well, yeah, I'm I Listen to you. I mean, I just have to stay away from people like that. And so I think innately what we do is if we're talking negatively about something, it's just kind of self perpetuates. It's terrible. It just keeps coming at you. But if you keep the positive to it, you know, I will do this, not I want, I'm going to do this. I feel good about it. I, you know, how could it be hard? I'm having the time of my life, you know, and I put in my book on page 103, there's a little picture of Cody McClasland running with two prosthetics. And Cody now is in college. This is a picture of when he was like uh, seven or eight years old. And I put on there, your excuse is invalid Mm -hmm. because it is. So if people start making excuses They always make the excuse to themselves first in their mind. Then they say it out loud. That's just, it just perpetuates what you told yourself. So I just try to stay away from that. I mean, because I know I have the honor of being on the microphone. What I say, what I do is heard. And it's either influential and helpful or it's not. The not side, I'm not going to. So I, I want to be as positive as I can because it'll come across in my voice and my actions, and it'll help others attain their goals.
0: I love that. One of my favorite word checks is whenever we start saying, I have to do this, I have to train, I have to go to work, I have to take my kid to soccer practice. You get to yeah. do that. I, I get to do that. And what a privilege. And it's really easy to forget that sometimes.
1: It is, you, you know, though. The world can beat you up and you turn on the news. You turn, it, it. Everything's of a negative vein. That's the way, for some reason, media is built and we're built. But we don't have to be that way as individuals. We can keep pushing back on it. And every successful person, whether it's been money or happiness, that I know there's no negative vein in them. Sure, they've gone through tough times and They said, well, this sucks. What the heck, you know? But I've always been a true believer. You're the cause of your own experience. Sure, somebody can, you know, hit you from behind when you're in your car at a red light and you can't. But if you live by the premise, you're the cause of your experiences. Those negative things that come to people that they're complaining at work or they lose their job aren't going to come to you because you're taking responsibility for everything you do good and bad, because you're the cause of your own experience. It's really, in my mind, very, very simple. And if you believe you're the cause of your own experience, you're not going to go out there and say, oh, my God, I got to do this. <laughs> you know, that's, it wouldn't be you. And plus, you'll take responsibility for all the great things you do and the not so great things you do. So oh, it's it's I love that. And somebody taught me that years ago. And I've always I'm the cause of my own experiences. I What am I bitching about and I'm mad at that person? I was a part of it, the cause, <laughs> you know? It always takes two.
0: Yeah. What or who has been the biggest influence in your life?
1: Oh gosh, my brothers and sisters. Uh, got six of them and we we all still are very close. They've had their wonderful lives and we're you know just really close brothers and sisters. You know, my wife has run her own business all these years. She just sold it not too long ago. And while I was on the road, taking and raising two kids, I mean, I come home and I go, I I, and sometimes I would take it for granted, you know, shame on me and and uh, which would strain the relationship. But then you, you know, you you realize, (laughs) listen dummy, what are you talking about? This is you're living with an amazing person and amazing kids. And and so it's really the close ones to me. And I've got a dear close friend network. And I don't know, I've just always surrounded myself with people that have taken care of me. And they're my mentors.
0: Yeah, it sounds like family and community are just that that's kind of like what grounds you and keeps you going in general. I've heard that throughout our entire conversation. For some people, it seems like they have a hard time prioritizing community or friends because they're working so hard at at maybe it's training, maybe it's like at their job or other people, maybe they just have a really hard time um, connecting with people. Do you have any advice for how people can build more community in their lives so that they can be more like you?
1: Well, the whole the whole job thing is is difficult. You know, when people get into a position and they're and they're doing well at work and putting in a lot of hours, you know, it's going to take away from family and community. It just is. But people want to be recognized. They want to be able to know that they're worth something. And work does that for people. But family and community do it deeper. It Those are the things that are going to balance you into a strong human. If it's all work and no play, you know what's going to happen. Something's going to break. And it's going to be the thing that really is the closest to you. So when people you know, work 60, 80 hours a week because they want to get ahead at the job and make more money and something's going to lose. They think it's great because they're getting promoted and all that good stuff, but they're losing on the inside. It's crumbling. The balance is gone. If you don't have the balance between, you know, your physical and your mental and your spiritual and your emotional, you're, you're going to go in the wrong direction and people you love are going to be hurt. And so, it is a fine line. It's tough. I mean, I, I've been in the corporate world and worked a lot of hours, and, and I always had a, another job. I'd come home from Ironman, Australia, and get home on a Monday night and go to an office on Tuesday. So, you know, about 10 years ago, I, gotta, I can't do this. I mean, I got to cut down on one thing. This is killing me and killing others. So it's a tough, fine line to walk, but you can never forget family. You can never forget community. And if you keep them close to you, you'll go as far as you want in your job and your profession. I mean, some of the most successful people are the ones that are taking the time off for family. You know? That that sixty hour a week, you can get it done in forty or take off a Friday and have a three day weekend with everybody. But it's you that has to make that commitment, you know, not somebody else. You gotta say, I, I gotta back off here. So yeah. It's one tough, one of it, my
0: favorite books is called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. And his whole book is about how you're more successful in your life if you focus on the things that make you happy first so that you can be more efficient whenever you're chasing the shiny things or the results, so to speak.
1: You know, and Sonia, I didn't realize that until really not too long ago. I, I had great jobs I uh, you know, it was part of an organization that started a company that grew to 3,500 employees and in this business. And it was it was fantastic. And but when I would leave work and then go to an Ironman event, oh, my gosh, that happiness just tripled. I go, I am right where I should be. This is my place, even though I attained sales records and be salesperson of the year and all that good stuff. When I I, I realized, I go, I I just could have done this my whole life, just the Ironman thing. But, you know, having two incomes is nice, too. I'm living in Southern California, raising a family. So, you know, you know what that's like. And so, uh, but when I'm at an Ironman event, now that that's the only thing I do, I get there and I go, I am in the right place. That's what people have to find. They have to find their right place. Do I worry about income? Do I worry about that? No. All I know is I'm in my right place and everything else is falling into place.
0: Yeah. And I think a hard question to ask yourself is where is my self-worth coming from right now? And I mean, it's okay if it is coming from money or a title or something like that, but just being aware of that, can be a really powerful thing if you start feeling unhappy or unbalanced in your life.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways to, you know, juggle the family life and work and all your varied interests. And, you know, I, we all face the obstacles and moments of doubt. We get into ruts and we try to figure out how to do the best we can do, you know, and that's why I wrote the book. I hope in some way, I didn't want to teach lessons or tell people you should do this. You should do an Ironman. That's not, my goal was to share stories with them and see how others have done it because it's, it's being done every day and people are overcoming odds and you know doing things that makes them pure of heart doing things that enhances their family you know our biggest treasures and our biggest gifts in life are our children there's no greater people say what what's your biggest asset are you kidding me it's my children it always will be and it's not your car or your house or your job it's your it's your partner spouse and your kids. And if you live by that premise, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, we, we got kind of deep, which I love, but some people submitted some questions that I know they won't be super happy if I skip them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so wh- who is the, or wh- what is the oldest person who has finished an Ironman? Do you know?
1: Yeah. It's Hiromi Anata from Japan in 2018. He finished Ironman Hawaii, 86 years old. Wow. Now, last year, Hiromi showed up in Kona, but uh, didn't finish. But he told me after the race, he'll be back again. So it'll be 86, 87. He'll be 88 years old. The guy, look, every time he comes in, I go, check his ID. He looks like he's 50. It's amazing. <laughs> it's just, yeah, so he's he he's it. All
0: right. What's your favorite sport between swim, bike, and run?
1: Oh, cycling. Yeah, bike.
0: And what kind of bike I do mean, you I mean, I was a... <laughs> I was a pure runner,
1: you know, 100 mile weeks back in the day, lots of marathons. But then when I started getting on the bike, it just takes you back to being a kid again. You know that, you know, you're always like this. Mm-hmm. You're riding a bike, you know, fast or slow, up or down. You're like this little kid again. So I'm sorry. What was the question? After uh, what that?
0: What kind of bike do you have?
1: I'm riding a Ventum. You know, Ventum is the Ironman sponsor and I've got one of their road bikes, which is just I've ridden a lot of bikes, and it's one of the best bikes I've ever ridden. Just a great bike.
0: How has the sport of Ironman changed, and how do you see it evolving?
1: Oh, gosh, it's changed with technology and coaching and nutrition, and everybody is edging up. Like, what can I do better with all those things? And lightweight bikes, and, you know, how much mileage should I put in? That's ever-changing. But what's never changed... That's why I love it so much. When we get to the start line and that cannon goes off, we're swimming 2.4, we're riding 112, and we're running 26.2. That hasn't changed since 1978. So to me, the core of it is the same. The history is there in it, and those distances are sacred. So everything around has changed, but when we go do the thing all day long, it's the same (laughs) as it always was. And how it's evolving, well, it's interesting because new people coming into the sport, which there's quite a few, but then you can have that, you know, 35-year-old couple who do Ironmans, and all of a sudden they have child number one and child number two a few years later, and you can't always go do an Ironman, so they're doing 70.3s, but they're always in the game. They always want to be an Ironman athlete, so they come back, and they do it, you know, when the kids are five or six. But where the sport's evolving, I, I just know those distances are strong and sacred. I, I would implore younger athletes to dip their toe in the water with a triathlon, no matter what the distance. Because everybody that does their first triathlon, it's like that first marathon, that first race. But something about swim, bike, run, just it just sucks you in.
0: How has the sport of Ironman changed you for the better over the years? Oh, gosh. <laughs> These it's listeners, me, they got good questions. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it's told me, you know, complainings for the birds, finishing what you start, just like me with this book thing. It took a while, but finally got it done. Should have done it sooner. But I think what it teaches me the most is to just stay humble. I mean, I see people go through absolute hell to get to start lines. And their journey is so awe-inspiring that when I have the honor of bringing them into the finish line, I, I feel that anything I do or say needs to be of a positive vein because I would do them injustice if I walked away with any negativity.
0: Okay. And then do you take vacations? And if so, what has been your personal favorite vacation of your life?
1: Well, I take vacations all the time. We just went up to Lake Tahoe for the weekend and and uh, get away. Some are tied in like Ironman Ireland this year. My wife's twin sister and her husband, who I've I've been with the husband since second grade, they're coming with us and we're going to spend five days in London just playing around before the race. Then we'll fly over to Ireland. I'll work the race, you know, all day long while those guys are drinking. So that's always great. I got the family with me and they're having a good time and and I'm having a good time too. And then we'll tour Ireland and come home. So I I work a lot of vacation time into the races because I mean, some of the best places in the world. And then we go to the Colorado River with friends two or three times a year just to play. And so, yeah, I I I'd like taking time away from everything else and just make it pure holiday.
0: What's the best advice that you would give someone on the morning of their first Ironman?
1: I look at them and say, it'll be OK. <laughs> It'll be okay. You put the training and the time in and I'll see you at the finish line, you know. And then the last thing I say to everybody before they get in the water, no matter what the weather could be bad. I go, no matter what happens today, you've got control over one thing and one thing only. That's your attitude. And if you take care of it, it will get you to the finish line. You can't worry about all the external stuff that may come your way. And it will. It's a long day. It could be raining, it could be cold, it could be heat. It could be a perfect weather day and you get three flat tires. But if you control your attitude and keep it positive, it'll get you to the finish line. If you don't, it may fail getting you to the finish line.
0: I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. And by the way, there's a lot of funny things in the book. I mean, I some of the stuff I've seen at finish line, you wouldn't believe. I mean, I had a guy, where was it? Iron Man Louisville. He's running in, and he's about 20 yards from the finish, and nobody else is in the chute at that time. He turns around and faces the crowd. And a lot of people do that, and they, you know, wave to their family or wave to the crowd or tell them thank you because of the applause. And all of a sudden, he bends over kind of down to his knees, puts his hands on his shorts, and I go, You gotta be kidding me. He was gonna moon everybody. <laughs> and and I go, Don't you dare, don't you know, I started talking like a dad. I raised yeah. my voice. Don't you dare, you'll be disqualified for life. I mean, I, I didn't have any authority to say that or anything, but <laughs> you know, it's like the voice I got, you'll be disqualified for life and his hands Left off his pants, he straightened up, and he turned around and came running on in. And he's looking at me, and I go, okay, good job, you're an Iron Man." Because I had kids at the finish line, I don't need a guy mooning everybody. Oh, my know. gosh. So I got kids there and grandmas, and I'm going, oh, my <laughs> gosh. Uh, but And he could have just kept going. I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it except, you know, be mad at him for doing that. But he didn't do it disqualified for life was the kicker. Yeah,
0: that stopped him. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Besides Kona, what is your favorite Ironman venue?
1: Well, I'd really give it away because towards the end of the book, I tell people what my favorite Ironman is. And it's done in a way where I, okay, I'll tell you what, for you, Sonia, I'll read it to you. Okay. I'm often asked, which is my favorite Ironman race? Well, it's Lake Placid. The mountain setting is unrivaled for natural beauty and poignant reminders of two Winter Olympic Games. Wait, it's actually Wisconsin with that amazing state capitol setting and down-home Midwestern atmosphere. Hang on, my favorite's got to be the big one in Kona, the granddaddy of them all, the world championship. Then again, how could it not be New Zealand or (laughs) Ironman Blanc? And I say, here is the truest answer I can give. My favorite Ironman is the one... I'm announcing right now. It's the one I'm at. Yes. If I I would say one is my favorite Ironman and I'm at another one, what's that say? Well, this isn't Mike's favorite. My favorite is the one I'm at. It has to be. And it is. If I'm at Ironman, you know, St. George or Ironman New Zealand, Ironman Wisconsin, it's where I want to be. and That's my favorite race. So, that's my favorite Ironman.
0: I love that. And um, the last question is, if you could go anywhere to ride your bike that you haven't been yet, where would that be?
1: Wow, that's a great question, because I've ridden the Alps. I've ridden a lot of places in the U.S. I, Italy. What, what's, it, what's uh, had a friend do it in Italy. Is it called the Dolomites? Is yeah. it called... Yeah, the Dolomite. I, he showed me pictures. I go, "Oh my gosh." I would love. So place like that, some place you know, I wouldn't mind riding to a country I've never been in before and just touring the country. But yeah, but really my favorite place to ride is right at home in San Diego. It's one of the best riding counties in the in the world.
0: Perfect. So, by the time this show comes out, your book will be out. Are you going to be doing a a book tour or anything like that?
1: Oh, the the book's been out for about eight months. Oh, so yeah, I've done, I did a lot of book tours last year. I, I, Iron Man sold it in their merchandise stores at all the, uh, events. And this year, you know, I'm hauling books to Iron Man, New Zealand in three weeks. I'll be selling them there and you can get it on amazon.com. You go to Mike It shows you everything about the book. And, uh, yeah, it, it's out in full force, Hard back And and the audiobook's doing very well. I actually recorded the audiobook. I read it.
0: Was that was that super hard to record the audiobook?
1: Very, very hard. <laughs> I had no idea how difficult it was going to be. We had a studio. We got a studio, which uh, a lot of bands here in San Diego record their music out of. And I'm in a room and a and, uh, director in my ear, an engineer in the glass in front of me. And and uh, I had Lee, my writer, was in there some of the time, and I started going to town. Oh, he was there the whole time. I started going to town, and it was difficult because I'd miss the word. I'd miss as the in a sentence, and they'd stop me. The director would go, You miss as the. I go, Well, I'm telling the story. Do I need the as the? And he goes, Yeah, you got to hit the words. I'm going, Oh my gosh, because I'm a storyteller. So yeah. it's the audio total is like seven hours and 31 minutes, and it took me over 19 hours to record it over two days
0: that's right around your, ir- your iron man announcing mark
1: it, it, the iron man dead <laughs> yeah. i'd get done with a chapter that was pretty emotional and i'd go in the other room and i'd start doing push-ups and some yoga and i'd go outside and run around and i come back in and go okay let's do another one you know it, <laughs> it was uh it was a task but it was it was great when it was done
0: yeah, many of the authors I've had on my show that have an audiobook said the audiobook is like the hardest thing they've ever done if they read their own book.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I get in some of the stories, and I started losing it with a couple of stories, and <laughs> yeah. we'd get done. I go, "How was it?" They go, "No, no, it's good. You, you didn't lose it as much as you thought you did, and it, it'll come off well, you know." So because it's from the heart. So it, yeah, it was. It was difficult. Thanks for asking.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, is the best place to find you your website? If people want to get in touch.
1: Yeah. Mike Riley.net. You can, people send me their stories almost every day or want to say something to me or talk to me or ask me what race I'm going to be at. My schedule's up there. I mean, you know, and I answer everybody hundred percent.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your energy and being Awesome. That was awesome and super fun to get to chat with Mike. And for the rest of the day after I recorded this episode, I was just extra stoked because he is so infectious with his positivity and he's just such a nice guy. Make sure you pick up his book. You can do so at MikeRiley.net. And his book again is called Finding My Voice. I hope you guys have an awesome day and an awesome week. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you right back here next week.